Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go. Indie Game Business. Hey, everyone. Super excited to be here. Uh, my cat may also be joining us. He likes to hop on the back of my chair. Uh, my name is Sarah Spires, and I am here to talk to you about running live ops projects at bigger studios when your experience is really limited to early stage startups and indies. Um, I remember when I was starting out in the indie space, I was really, really anxious because I thought that people wouldn't take my experience seriously. There it is. Um, or that my experience would be transferable if I wanted to work on bigger projects. And I did have aspirations to work at AAA. So I really want this talk to be a, an opportunity for you to explore these ideas, learn a little bit more about how to leverage your experience and really just reassure you that absolutely your experience is relevant. Kat's going to join us. Uh, <laughs> so a little more about me. So again, I said, I'm Sarah. I'm currently working at PUBG as a producer for our engineering team. My cat is everywhere. Um, for our engineering team working on uh, feature development for our PC and console versions of PUBG. Um, you will hear me talk about PUBG in a couple of different ways. Uh, just for clarification, uh, PUBG in general has lots of studios all around the world. And then you have PUBG Mad Glory, which is a combination of Madison, Wisconsin, which is where I am, and New York Studios. And then you'll also hear me just reference PUBG Madison. Again, that is my particular studio. Um, but it, as I mentioned, I work with our engineering team to develop our features for our live product. And a lot of the work that we do actually helps make key decisions about what our mobile product will look like. But as I mentioned before that, I actually got my start in the indie space. Um, and I worked at about six different studios ranging from educational games, games for impact, commercial games. I've also done work on VR games, AR games, uh, console PC mobile, uh, voice assistant games, um, and just really, really lots of stuff. Uh, my, my start was actually in the educational games and civic media space. Uh, and a lot of the work that I did there was really player focused, or in this case, user focused and figuring out, you know, how can we make products that help inspire and educate other people and empower them to be able to make changes in their lives and in their communities. And then when I worked at the deep end games and earplay, those were like really early stage indies or tech hybrid startups. And a lot of the work that I was doing there was just figuring out, like, how do we make things? What are the production processes look like? Uh, at EarPlay in particular, like how are you developing new tech? Because we were working on voice assistant games. How are you developing new tech at the same time you're developing a production process at the same time you're developing games for that tech? Um, and then I eventually moved on to filament games where I really honed in on production and what it means to be a producer. And so a lot of this talk is going to be kind of from that production perspective. But hopefully you all find it helpful to have 
uh, or it'll be helpful for those of you who are production adjacent or just wind up wearing mini hats as we often do. Um, and then after Filament, I worked at Studio Dry Dock, which was a really small but global team of indie developers building a mobile game. Um, let's see. So again, from the perspective of a producer, when you're in an indie space, I think people don't give us a lot of credit for the kind of work that we do. Because whether you are a team of one or a team of 20, sometimes even more, you're wearing lots of hats, you're trying to answer lots of questions, like, how are you building this feature? You know, how are you figuring out how to market your game? You don't have somebody who's marketing it, so maybe your producer's taking on that work because you don't have that money. Uh, you know, how do you educate teams on production processes? Like, how, how are you going to do all these things? Um, and, and we have all these problems that we're going to have to solve and that we are going to have to learn how to solve those problems and learning how, how to solve problems is a skill set. Um, but that's something that we are ultimately challenged with uh, and people don't give us credit for. So anyway, let's actually talk about PUBG for a second. So I had all this in the experience. I'd worked in the indie space for about six years, working with lots of different teams, interdisciplinary teams, very specific discipline teams, like narrative teams, content teams. But now I was joining PUBG. And this was a really interesting and different experience for me because while I'm working specifically with PUBG Madison, uh, PUBG itself is about a thousand people or more spread across the globe. And I was working on a product that I'd already launched with an established player base. And that was really, really intimidating. Um, and when I first joined, there are all these problems and all these things that I had to figure out. And again, I was doing a lot of mental gymnastics because I was coming out of the indie space and I felt like my experience maybe wasn't relevant, relevant enough, but clearly, you know, I was hired. So somehow they, they thought it was. Uh, but to give you kind of a lay of the land, uh, at the time that I joined, we were in the middle of shipping 14.2 or 14.1, kind of depending on where you are in the world, which was the update that had Fireman's Carry. Um, we had really aggressive production schedules, shifting team structures and limited resources. And we also had teams literally everywhere working on different things. And so there was a lot of figuring out, like, how do we communicate with people in Korea? And then how do we you know, communicate with our teams? And then who, what, which teams in Seoul, which is our Korean studio, you know, do we need to talk to? Um, additionally, we actually had a pretty skeleton production team. So when I joined PUBG, there were two other producers and they had moved onto our production team from the QA team. And there was no one in the studio that was actually in a, 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 like a producer before their work. Um, not to, and I, that's not to discredit any of the work that they were doing. Uh, the current producers, that, the, the two that were there had done a really fantastic job, uh, but there was just a very bare bones production team and hadn't existed for a long time. So there was a lot of room for growth with process. Um, and then the big challenge that we ask, which exists in all studios is like, how do we ship things on time? And that was the big question that I was presented with because I was matched with the engineering team developing features. Like how, Sarah, can we get people to ship things on time and in a sustainable way and also making sure that all of our stakeholders are happy and that our players are really, really happy. Um, and this was again, a, a, an interesting challenge because it's one that you've seen in indie before and it's one that I've seen in indie before, but I had to figure out like, how are we going to be able to solve this problem when the biggest project I had worked on had 20 people? Uh, and there were definitely more than 20 people working on this project. 
so I'm going to provide a little bit of a framework of how I tackled this challenge. And a lot of it uh, might seem a little obvious, but that's really good because the point here, again, is that the experience that you have is relevant is helpful and and is totally you know available to you and should be utilized and valued by your peers if you're moving into the space and even if you're not moving into the space i hope that this framework can help you approach problems maybe in a little bit of a different way so the first step that i always ask of people is you know where are we let's figure out where we are um First, I will do lots of research. And I think the book, Your First 90 Days, outlines it pretty well. It's just figuring out the lay of the land because you can't determine where you're going to go if you don't know where you are. And so the framework that I like to do is people, product, process, and position. So with people, you're asking yourself in the studio, like who holds the power? Who are your biggest team advocates? Who are the decision makers? Who holds social currency? Who's been there forever? Um, and this kind of questioning system is one that I actually used when I was in the indie space, when I was working at Filament Games. A lot of the work that we did was work for hire work. And so I would work with the sales team to build project pitches and project schedules for our clients or potential clients. And part of that was doing research about them too, especially when that pitch had landed and we had gotten the project, just trying to figure out like, who are we working with? What is the historical context for this company, right? You know, are they familiar with games? Who are we going to be working with? Do they have any experience in the tech industry, right? And then the next thing process is what processes exist or don't exist. Uh, what has worked and hasn't worked and why. So in the context of indie again, you know, it's asking your team, like, what, what experiences do we bring to the table? If you're working with a client, in my case at Filament, it's what do their processes look like? I had a client that was a digital book publisher. And so their idea of a production process varied pretty much, like pretty greatly from what we had done um, at a game development studio. And so how, you know, the question became, how do we, you know, meld our processes so it's something that makes sense for them. Um, and then the next questions or set of questions, of course, is about the product. It was just making sure that you understand what you're selling. You understand where you can find that information and where those decisions are held. Um, again, this kind of all blends together, people, process, and product. And if you're a producer, you're probably really familiar with those three, but they're really, really important. And I will actually take out a notebook and I will write all of these down. I will actually go out and research this. I'll read through company documentation. I'll also have one-on-ones with everyone. And I wound up actually doing that uh, at Studio Drydock and actually at PUBG as well, uh, meeting with every single team member and studio leads and team leads. So wound up interviewing anywhere from 10 to 20 people. Um, and then the last bit, which is mostly for studio leadership, um, is where is the business, like what state of business are you in? And again, your first 90 days kind of goes through this, but this is just some interesting context for, for you if you're trying to problem solve, especially if you are in a growing indie studio. Are you, you know, again, are you growing? Are you first starting out? Are you a, a, a studio that's existed for a while and really you're just trying to keep up your, your current cadence? Um, this can help under help you understand how much leverage you have and change, what kind of 
change management you might need. At a smaller studio with less people, it can be a little easier to enact change because you have less stakeholders. There's maybe less bureaucracy, but the bigger the studio gets and depending on how those power structures look, again, look at people and processes, things can get a little complicated. Um, and at PUBG in particular, that was something that I was really interested in trying to understand just because I had absolutely no idea at the time that there were so many different mini branches within PUBG. Um, and there were many different studios and people that worked together. And so I had to do a lot of research about that. And again, the work that I had done in the indie space had helped me prepare for this because I had been thinking about it kind of on a client level when I, you know, joining teams. And it's really just the exact same thing at a bigger studio. Um, so here's essentially what I found at PUBG. So, right, I mentioned earlier, we didn't actually have a production team. So what had actually happened, and this was the historical context, was that design team and then other studio leaders, which I think in our case was our creative director and our studio manager, had be had kind of kind of acted as production and when our technical director was hired a couple of months before me he had also by the way come from filament so it was kind of small world but he also brought his production methodology in there and so me joining the team was trying to pivot that responsibility away from leadership and onto producers and figuring out what producers did um, the other kind of interesting power dynamic and process dynamic that we had at PUBG is that the role of producers differed depending on where you were in the world. Um, I would argue that everywhere argues about what producers do, uh, but in particular, uh, from, from my understanding, the folks who were working at our Korean studio, uh, those producers were really interested in data analytics and reports and specifically communication, which is kind of similar. But what we were doing over at PUBG in America was we were kind of acting as the very classic kind of product owner, kind of scrum master, maybe a project manager. And so sometimes those changes or those differences between the two studios could complicate things a little bit because the expectations that we had for the producers or project managers at each studio could cause their cause some conflict or confusion. And so we wanted to make sure that we understood, you know, what exactly everyone was doing. Another thing that is pretty obvious, but is worth noting when I was doing a lot of research about PUBG was the market differences and just how uh, there are differences in how each team, depending on where they are in the world, approached game design. Um, meta it exists it, throughout the world, like the game meta, and it changes depending on where you are. And so as people in America, we were designing towards a more American meta. And the, the folks in Korea were the advocates for their players over in Asia. So we had to figure out nego negotiating uh, feature development and design based off of balancing the market differences. And then the last challenge, and this kind of goes back to that positioning bullet point in the previous slide, is where is PUBG and its growth? Um, and this is where things get weird because we have like an over, we have like a, a games union. It's not a true union, but we call it crafting games union that um, has a bunch of studios within it, like striking distance, for example. Um, and then we have PUBG and then PUBG itself has many different studios. Um, and then the studio in Madison in particular is growing and has some different policies that are independent of Korea just simply because we're in the American branch, so different rules and regulations. But we in Madison were dealing with having to grow while also building 
features for a live project while also developing process, while also trying to become more diverse, equitable, and inclusive. Just so many things happening at the same time. Um, and these were all these things that, again, were affecting kind of that question, like how do we ship things on time? Um, because oftentimes when we just ask that question and we don't dive into the details, we aren't able to actually solve the problem because we're solving a symptom rather than the actual problem at hand. So what happened afterwards is that I would build a plan. And this is something that I want to spend a little bit of extra time on because this is where we get to figure out how to leverage your experience um, in the indie space. And I'll use a couple of examples for my own just to make it a little more abundant. So the first thing I recommend folks do is create a, like a little task force. At PUBG, we have one for the producers called the Brain Trust. And the reason I have Creativity Inc. here is because it was inspired by this. Um, in Creativity Inc., however, if I remember correctly, and I don't want to don't quote me on this, y'all. Um, and Creativity Inc., they would have a group of creative leadership who would go over different, uh, it was different parts of their films in the creative process and give critique on it. And the person who kind of owned it or was the stakeholder in that uh, would just sit there and just listen to the critique. And there wasn't really ego involved. It was really just trying to make sure the product was as best as it could be. And at PUBG, we try and recreate that in a way. Um, before I dive into how exactly we did it, I want to add the disclaimer that when you are creating tasks for us like these, you need to make sure that you're including a diverse group of people, because what we often see is like a bunch of leaders who very much look the same going off and trying to solve problems. But it's been shown time and time again that in order to be more inclusive and to come up with some with solutions that benefit a large amount of people, you need to have a diverse task force. Um, PUBG is at least Madison is really, really interested and focused on trying to build up the diverse, equitable and inclusiveness of the studio. Um, and one of the ways that we're doing that too is just making sure that people, regardless of their like actual industry tenure, so whether they're junior or senior, all have a voice. Um, and the brain trust was part of that. So instead of the producers coming in and you know the more senior producers running the show, and providing all the ideas, uh, it was everyone was equal because the idea was that we were trying to identify and solve pro problems together and a failure was a failure on all of our parts and a success was success on all of our parts. Um, and every single meeting, we usually had it once a week or once every other week, we would have a rotating facilitator to make sure no one person was in power. Although sometimes we you know, were bringing on a production coordinator and so we'll have her practice um, leading the brain trust just because that's really great experience, but also learning how to talk to your peers who are at different levels is really, really helpful as well. Um, and again, like I mentioned, we all succeed and we all fail together. So we have shared ownership over tasks. And then we had one to two people just having being not really in charge of that task, but essentially allocating headspace to it. And another reason that we really, really liked this was because it kind of simulated that indie cozy environment. Um, and again, this wasn't necessarily to exclude anyone. In fact, we bring in people who might be helpful or who have some really interesting input into the solutions that we're trying to figure out. Um, 
but it was probably one of the most successful ways that we at PUBG have been tackling production problems. And I don't want to say we tackled them because it's still an ongoing process, which I'll talk about in a moment. Um, but that is how we started building a plan. We sat down, we listed all the things that we needed, everything from I need Zoom access because my meetings only last 45 minutes to uh, we don't know what producers do. Um, and so we're just thinking about what are all the problems we need. And in the context for those of you who are not producers, because I do want to address that, um, basically, you, you want to sit down, and you want to list everything um, and just make sure that, you know, it's very uh, objective. You're not saying design doesn't do this thing. It's very much a um, we need a better way to track documentation or it can be very confusing to locate X, et cetera. This is meant to be an exploration. This is where that facilitation is very, very important uh, because you're trying to essentially using the research that you've gathered and ideally that your uh, peers have gathered as well, try and find out solutions. So let's move on to there. So some here are some of the questions that we came up with at the producer brain trust. Uh, what does company structure look like now that our studio is growing and how will production fit into that picture? Madison didn't have producers until recently. So what are producers? Um, what is our job and how is that different from designers? And what does the production process look like at PUBG? Um, some of these are a little bit beyond the uh, ability of producers to decide. What does our company structure look like now that the studio is growing? Probably not the producer's call, although we certainly have had ideas and have presented them. Um, but it's just something that does impact not only um, just the studio at large, but also impacts that original question, how do we ship things on time? Uh, because again, part of that people process products, you know, dynamic as people, obviously. Um, but ultimately, uh, the problem that I focused on and I felt like was most aligned with the original challenge that I had been set out to tackle, uh, how do we ship things on time, is what does the production process look like at PUBG? And I just want to clarify that we did split this up into different categories. Uh, so it wasn't, you know, Sarah trying to solve, like, what is production? We would break things down into things like sprint planning or retros or stand up or like, how do we communicate deadlines to people? How do we communicate with our QA department overseas? How do we communicate with our current QA department in North America? So um, this is another exercise, and I wish I had a picture of this, but this is where that indie experience really comes in handy. So one of the things that I've done over the years is I've kept a production journal, but I don't expect most people to have done that. So what I always suggest folks to do, especially when you're in an indie space, is to think of all the projects that you feel like have deeply impacted you as a developer. Not necessarily emotionally, though that's totally valid, but how you've been impacted on a professional level. Like, what are the projects that really challenged you, that really made you think about how you run projects or how you run teams or how you grow teams? Um, just document those. Uh, and I usually take literally just post-it notes and I'll put them on the wall, right? And I'll also, you know, think what were the takeaways from this? Um, so, you know, what these impactful projects, what were the lessons that you learned? And then the next question, and you could either, you know, write this down or write this on the back of the post note, whatever. Obviously, it's very free form. But what is most applicable right now for the problem that you're trying to solve? And then the last one is how can we apply these same lessons or how can we even maybe change some of those findings to be more applicable? Because no project is ever 100% the same. So in the instance of PUBG um, and, you know, amidst, 
amidst the fear that I had of like, how do I run and, you know, help this team of really, really talented developers who have been doing excellent so far, but just needed, you know, some production leadership. Like how can I, you know, how can I support them given my experience? And so what I did is I wrote down all the projects that I'd ever worked on um, across, you know, the past couple of years, maybe not necessarily my first game ever, but, you know, everything that was relatively recent that I could recall. And then I wrote down the key lessons, you know, and I, you know, flipped through my little producer book and, and added some stuff, but just documented what were the key projects. Um, and the ones that were really pertinent to me and to this project was one, my work on Scholastic Work, which was at, um, when I was at Filament, and then my work with Studio Dry Dock on our project, which I believe is still unannounced, but look for it next year. Um, so with Scholastic, I joined in the middle of the project during development of it, and then I led the live operations of it. Um, it is an educational game for elementary school aged children who are learning reading comprehension, spelling, grammar, etc. Um, and so a lot of the work that I did post development was essentially bug fixes and then also some feature tweaks. We did add a couple of things. It wasn't quite the same as PUBG, but it was the most relevant experience I had. Um, and so I tried to write down all the lessons I learned. And first, the first one was, you know, how to work with clients who are not necessarily games literate, but do have an established production process at their studio. Also, you know, how we tracked velocity uh, in a studio, like using story points in a studio that primarily had used time estimates because we were work for hire. Um, and other things such as, you know, how do you keep up team morale when things are changing all the time? And those were all very, very pertinent, uh, you know, you know, uh, lessons or questions that I tackled that were relevant to PUBG. And I think offhand, you know, if you tell someone, yeah, I worked on like a, a kid's game, uh, but now I work on PUBG, everyone kind of gives you like this little look, but it's actually quite similar in this instance. Um, and I was able to apply these lessons. Uh, same thing with Dry Dock. The big thing with Dry Dock is our studio was located just like everywhere uh, because everyone worked remotely. We had people in Canada, people in the United States. Uh, I think uh, we had someone in Costa Rica. We had someone in England. We had people in Australia and New Zealand. Um, and so the real challenge there was like, how do you communicate with people that live all over the world when you're working on the same project and deadlines really matter? Um, and so that was like the big one. The other one was, you know, how do you build production process for a studio with a couple of people who are really, really, really senior, and then a lot of people who are really junior, and this is their first exposure. Uh, how do you keep it simple? And again, the, the big question that everyone has asked me that I've ever worked on any project, how do you run sprint planning when no one's in the same time zone? And those were all, again, really, really pertinent questions uh, for, uh, or are relevant things for how uh, we wanted to tackle stuff over at PUBG. Um, so what we decided through lots of discussions with the brain trust was that we were really interested in trying to build out, um, a prototype, which is surprise spoilers. It's the next step. Um, but we wanted to focus on using the engineering team because it was high impact, arguably a little high risk, but we wanted to use the engineering team to model how we plan and triage incoming work. Uh, because when you're working on a live operations project or just a live project in general, um, you are dealing with having to fix things from previous releases, having to build features for future releases, 
fixing defects for those future releases. Also just random other things that pop up, design changes for different stakeholders in various studios. Um, and we felt that engineering was in the best position, not only to figure out how that would work, but also to like benefit the most from it. Um, so let's talk about how that worked out. So yes, prototype, take your plans for a test drive. So I'm going to be on the slide for a bit. So one of the, the first thing we did was have sprint planning. And I want to point out that we had a version of sprint planning before I joined that was run by our technical director. And I, again, was really lucky because he had also been at one of the same studios I had been at. So I was extremely familiar with what he was trying to do. Um, but if you are at all familiar with Scrum or Agile, this, that whole shebang or even waterfall, uh, there are a lot of meetings and they're very, very long and they require very distinct roles, uh, product owners and scrum masters. And currently at PUBG, we did not have those. And again, that's not the fault of anyone in studio leadership. I think just in general, the industry has a really difficult time understanding how producers operate and what they should do. Um, so we decided to try and actually define that. So the first thing we did is define roles and responsibilities. And in an ideal scenario, we sit down and we document literally all the bullet points for one job and all the bullet points for another job, which is something that we did at Filament and something we also did at Dry Dock for some of our roles that intersected a little bit. Uh, but we specifically tried to see, you know, what does design do versus production versus studio leadership? Um, what are the boundaries that we have with one another? And I, and I say that over and over again, because boundaries are how you show people that you respect them uh, and processes are vehicles for boundaries, essentially. Um, and then we decided to have producers lead sprint planning, which isn't unusual at all. But the way that we tackled it or the way that we approached it is that design was primarily responsible for making sure that what we were building matched the specifications of what they have designed of what Korea had expected. Um, and then as a producer, my job was to facilitate communication between all the departments, make sure everything was prioritized, make sure the backlog was prioritized and triaged. Um, we chose to have all the producers work with a specific department, which was a, a bit of a departure from what I had done in the indie space, uh, but still, excuse me, still very interesting. Um, and we would have all of us come together with QA the Wednesday before sprint planning and go through all the defects and create a, a prioritized list. So we tried traditional sprint planning, like the, the textbook version, and nobody liked that. Uh, which I feel like is pretty standard for Gibbs. Um, and that's something that I had also done at other studios and surprise, no one likes it, uh, but everyone has their own version of it that they do appreciate. And working with the engineers, uh, they really valued maximizing work time and minimizing meeting time. Uh, but as a producer, I like to maximize communication. Um, and so my role was trying to balance what our sprint planning looked like. And what that ultimately looked like was a lot of planning beforehand on my part, which was totally fine and I was more than happy to do. And then having our engineers come in on our Mondays during sprint planning and going through all of the tasks with us and providing estimates, the very traditional stuff. Again, this should be things that are relatively familiar with you. Indie Game Business has one of the longest running digital event series in the gaming industry with hundreds of publishers, investors, developers, and tech companies to meet with. All the sessions are always free to watch forever 
And you can get a free pass to receive all the slide decks from all those speakers. The tickets for meetings start just at $50. Go to IndieGame.Business and use the code IGBPODCAST to get 20% off your ticket. Um, the other thing that we started doing is really, truly tracking velocity. Um, our technical director had done a really good job of trying to figure out an initial velocity for everyone. Uh, but then after we had some contract engineers drop off, uh, I had to recalculate velocity for the team and that we are now able to use that to plan work for future releases. And that's also giving us data to be able to help our sister studios or studios around the world understand how much work we can take on. Um, we also built communication pipelines to eliminate conflicting messages from HQ because we had a lot of different stakeholders and lots of different departments. And this is something that actually came from a couple of indie experiences. And I think a lot of folks can relate to uh, if you have like a publisher or a PR uh, consultant, or you have, you know, folks that you're working with who are stakeholders, maybe as clients who are located somewhere else, just trying to balance the messages can be really, really difficult. And so just figuring out what are the appropriate ways for us to get that information? How do we document it? Um, can be really helpful. Uh, when I worked with, again, Filament and also Earplay and Engagement Lab, because those were all work for hire environments, we had very specific ways that we triaged feedback and triage messaging. And just, again, having one or two people responsible for disseminating those messages was really, really helpful. Um, and we did kind of the same thing at PUBG, but instead what we focused on is having our producers kind of be like the like the, the knowledge keepers for their specific department. So again, me with engineering. And so any kind of big engineering changes um, were my responsibility to communicate to everyone. Uh, yeah, and then have, yeah, have producers work with departments. We also handled allocation, which was something that's a little different. I think a lot of indie studios don't necessarily tackle, um, but if you do, I feel your pain. Um, but again, I want to point out here that when you are going through and trying to pull from your experience, it is very relevant. You might just have to, you know, connect the, the dots for some folks, or you might have to do it for yourself, but just trying to think creatively about how you worked on things in the past could be helpful for how you want to work on things now. Um, but like any process and any process changes, uh, you need to reflect and iterate. Um, and this is something that we're still doing at PUBG. I wish I could come to you and say, we have solved all the problems. Uh, and then we could go to all the other studios in the world and be like, we have solved all the problems. Uh, and the games can be made easily forever. I think we'd be very, very rich. Um, but this is an ongoing process. And it's something that we did a lot, especially when I was at Dry Dock, and we were trying to work through, how are we going to build this game? How are we going to talk you know, uh, or communicate with our external stakeholders? How are we going to... Um, make sure that everyone uh, knows what they're working on when we don't have a traditional sprint planning. Uh, and so every week, and the same thing at PUBG, every single week or every sprint, I should say, we would think about, you know, what had worked, what hadn't worked. Um, and this is a form of a retro, but the producers would sit down uh, and talk about it in our producer sync and sometimes in our brain trust, like what was going on, things that had been really successful. Um, some weeks we didn't go over it as much just because things do take time to observe and collect data on. Um, but we really wanted to make sure that we keep reflecting and keep iterating. Um, and I think right now where we are on the engineering team is in a pretty good spot. And we're just working on 
you know, continuing that momentum until the end of the year. And then we'll use that new energy of the new year to continue iterating. So I have about five more minutes before we head into questions. I know I've been kind of rambling and speeding through things. There's just a lot of stuff, but I do want to cover the final steps. So, you know, how do you document your findings and present them as solutions, essentially? And this is basically the simple answer is data. Um, but I can tell you a little bit about what we do at PUBG by actually using an example that is not at all handout. Um, so we actually have something called a culture guild, and we are responsible for just thinking about how to improve the culture at PUBG. And one of the ways that we're able to do this is identifying a problem and proposing a solution through quite literally a proposal. Um, and this is something where we utilize data and articles and we present it to leadership and they either vote yes or no on something. And we recently updated our PTO and our sick leave based on proposals. And really when you're proposing these solutions for development, that's very, it's, it's pretty much the same thing. Maybe you're not necessarily putting together like a paper, maybe it's a pitch deck, or maybe it's just a conversation with your manager or the production lead or whatever lead. But sitting down and discussing what you've tried, what you've changed, what's been successful, and what hasn't is very helpful. And also it's totally fine to bring in your previous experience and say, this is some, something I've noticed when I was working on this project. Um, and again, I wanna address those of you who are not looking to go into AAA and who are just looking to try and like figure out how you, know, you wanna run your stuff. Just having those really frank conversations and proposing an idea to someone can also be really helpful in getting feedback because things may look really, really amazing up front uh, you may have data that you think points to a specific solution, but having that extra set of eyes can help you understand maybe it's actually something else is happening and that that's the solution. But it's really important to make sure that you're collecting these findings, you're having these reflections and you're documenting them and making them available for other people to read or at least our, your team leads or stakeholders to read because it's very, very important when you're trying to advocate for change, especially with folks who are maybe not directly impacted by what you're doing. Um, a couple of things that I like to do is I will always create spreadsheets and add a very visual element to it. So like how many change logs have we've gotten approved? Like that's something I track. Um, and then using literally, quite literally green or, you know, to denote whether or not things are trending positively or not. And that's kind of boring, but um, essentially, again, just making sure that you are able to document the process you went through and including that your previous knowledge, because it is very helpful. Contextual knowledge is very helpful. Um, but yeah, that is essentially kind of my step-by-step -step process. And again, I want to reiterate, if a lot of this sounds pretty obvious, if it sounds like stuff that you, you know, I already know how to do this, that's really good. And that's the point. Uh, again, same or as bigger ship. You should be using the same skills. You should be, you know, using the same fundamentals in order to grow um, and scale as as you need. Uh, and that's really, I think, what the core of being a developer, the core of being a producer, is. Uh, we are able to look at problems, see how they're similar to other problems and how they differ, and they create a plan based off of that. Um, but yeah, that is essentially the core of this talk. A couple of things for you all to note, I think, before we head into questions, because we've got a couple of minutes for that, um, as I'll be sending out, or I guess uh, IGB will be sending out slides. And then, of course, if you do have any questions or you want to chat, uh, that is my, my Gmail. My PUBG email is a mess. 
don't send it to that. So here's my personal email. Here's my Twitter. I'm happy to answer questions. I do so much better one-on-one than I do talking to a crowd in the middle of a big release. Uh, but I hope that this was at least a little bit helpful for you today. Um, I, it's been really interesting reflecting on this process. And it's Jay. I, I see Jay. I, I didn't see you earlier, so I was excited. Anyway, but yeah, thank you so much, everyone. I don't know if we have any questions. That we do, but I want to just say that this is the first time we've had you on the show where you were like the primary speaker and you weren't asking Nika questions. <laughs> and you you are so animated that out of the corner of my eye, I thought you were doing sign language at one point. I, it was, oh, that'd be so cool. I was like, is she like self signing? And I'm like, no, 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 she's just excited. That's, that's no, all good. That's yeah. awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I try to be pretty chill. It is the end of the year. Uh, and I'm just very excited to talk about production. But yeah, when Nika's on call or on the camera, I try and bal I, I balance her energy a little bit. But Nika's not here, so I have to have all the energy. You, you get all the energy. Yes, and we are, you know, you're, you're right. We are at the effort stage of 2021 at this point. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah. I, don't, I don't know who's watching. I'm not going to jump into my um, my usual language. So, yes, we do have questions. Um, oh, okay. and I'll get to those in a second. Just a quick reminder, if you want this awesome slide deck, we have to know where to send it. So go to IndieGame.Business, get a free pass to the conference, and that way when Dan and I send all these things out in a few days, we know where to send it to you. And we will only sign you up for like five or six different random newsletters. Don't worry about that part. Anyway, so how, in general, how easy is it to implement these indie best practices into a bigger team? Because you're not dealing with, you know, 15, 20 people total at this point. You're dealing with massive amounts of people. Yeah, this is where I was trying to articulate it. It's just easier when it's questioned. So this is where prototyping on a smaller team or like on a smaller scale is really, really helpful because then you're able to show data that supports you know your change essentially so one of the things that this is actually at filibit which is indie-ish i like to say it was a studio of about 40 people but our teams were about five um and so one of the things that we wanted to implement was mindful production which is a whole other talk um but what we did is we actually sat together as a team and said we're going to stick to the core tenants of filament games but we're going to make these key changes on our team so we can document how that impacts our development and then we were able to present it to leadership and be like hey these are some things that we did differently that was actually really helpful uh and they were more receptive to that i think going to someone and being like well when i was at this studio we did that is not going to be helpful for you uh but essentially just prototyping it in a very small way and showing that data in the context of the studio you're currently in is going to be the best key. And just finding, again, identifying your, like, uh, I, I think I said social currency title and like dev advocates, like finding the right combination of those people with those different kinds of, of pull can be very helpful when advocating, like find, find the person that leadership really, really likes talking to, get them on your, you know, on in on the prototype. And that could be really helpful when you're pitching to leadership. And, and dealing with the social dynamics of a big team is not something that you generally have to do at no. an indie studio. Yes. But <laughs> would you go, especially one that's been around for a while too. So yeah. it's not like it's a brand new team. All right. That actually leads into another one of the questions that we had on the discord. Um, did you get any like quote respect pushback because you didn't have a triple A background? And if so, how did you handle that? So 
I want to say PUBG has been really awesome because I haven't. Um, and I, and I think that is partially because of where I am. I have, I'll answer the second part of the question because I have, but not from PUBG. Uh, I want to point out that I think part of it is based off of where the studio is. So PUBG Madison is in Madison, Wisconsin. And I think that uh, game development or the games industry attitudes vary depending on where you are. And in the Midwest, it's like infinitely more chill than it was when I was in Boston. I love my Bostonians, don't get me wrong. But like people here are like, I want to go home and see my family, which I think is not unique. But it's like, it's not unique to Wisconsin or the Midwest, but it's like very much a normal practice here. I'm not seeing people like crunching nearly as much, although maybe I'm just not, you know, seeing it. Uh, but yes, I have received pushback. Um, I think when people are trying to transition into a AAA studio, there is a lot of the, well, you haven't done this. Uh, and I did receive a lot of that, especially when I was at very big conferences trying to get hired at these studios. Um, and the thing to note is that um, with the exception, I think, of like very specific roles, maybe on the business and marketing side, um, which I can't speak to, um, it's really quite similar. Um, you're just going to be more specialized and focusing on a specific thing. And so what I've learned is talking to developers and those big studios and learning the way that they talk about their projects can be really helpful when you start interviewing with folks. Because I've noticed, again, that when you interview, people can tell a lot about your background and your attitudes by the way you talk about your work. And so kind of mimicking some of the language that you see from other developers can be really helpful in conveying your work. And that's something I definitely did when I was interviewing PUBG. <laughs> so. All right. So disclaimer, I've worked with Sarah on several different projects. So it's not like, you know, I'm coming into this blind. The, prod the production journal is like <laughs> one of the best things I have heard of. And it is completely a, oh, of course, Sarah has one of those. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, can, can you expand on that? What is it? How do you use okay. it? What is it for? Because, oh my God, yes. So, yeah. So I want to clarify, I'm not like opening up my journal and being like, I talked to Jay today and he was really <laughs> annoying. Like, that's not how that works. It's, um, I mean, I guess it could be, but I wouldn't because then if someone finds it, that's going to be a little awkward to explain. But for me, it's like, what was the big challenge? And I, and I am not the most consistent, but I try to be. And I did it a lot when I was working on Scholastic, actually, because that project terrified me. It was like way bigger than it was like, I feel like the big projects really scare me. The smaller ones don't because I was so used to it. But essentially what I do is I'd write, you know, what is the thing that I did today? Like, what was the challenge? Or, you know, what was the big question that stumped me that I could not answer and that made me feel really insecure? Because I never wanted to feel that way again. I never wanted to feel like I couldn't answer that again. Um, and and then also uh, in postmortems, I would like pull snippets of what people had said and I'd put it in there for me to remember. And I legitimately, I remember when I was still at Filament, I would go through it sometimes when I was trying to figure out like how, oh, another big project. We've got 20 people on this team. How are we actually going to do this? And I'd go, oh, wait, Scholastic had 20 people. And I'd go back and see, ah, the team structure was great because X or ah, I really struggled with this because Y. And just using the past information to help you with the present's helpful. But really, it's just how, like, how you want to document your challenges, the things that really excited you, the things that were also documenting your successes, very important. Uh, but the lessons you've learned can be helpful later on because you don't want to have to reinvent the wheel if you've already done the work like two years ago, three years ago, right? Uh, but yeah, it can be a Google Doc, which is 
people can technically access that, I guess. So maybe I, I write it down essentially. So no one can. I was, I was going to ask, is, is it in the little book with the key in it? and all of, all <laughs> It's of just that? a wall skin. I should have a key. I, what I could do is when we finally go into office, I'll just take the journal with the key and I'll just put it on my desk and I'll be like, no one can touch this. This yes. is my production <laughs> journal. I think everyone at PUBG would just be like, okay, whatever. I, I, I have, you know, something similar. And the difference between you and I is you write things. It's like, I had this challenge and this is how I solved it. I write things like half of a sentence and then I forget about it for three months. Cool. And then I flip back to that page and I'm like, what the hell was I talking about? And so you're ahead of me. I mean, I'm thinking at it in terms of Notion because we've started using Notion for like so much stuff internally. Yes. Um yeah, but you don't want everybody to see it. But I think that it's just brilliant to 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 do that because I would have never thought of that. Oh, um, yeah. All right. So from your one of your points, um, how do you manage oh, communication God. with a team that's spread all over the world uh, when deadlines are a big thing? Okay. So I want to lead back to Drydock on this because with the difference with. PUBG is that they had been doing this for a really, really long time. And I'm just kind of like working in within their system with Drydock. That was a new challenge for us. Um, and I feel like I'm going to get some major judgment, but it is what it is. Not from my team, but just everyone else. So we had one team meeting a week that all of us were in. And it was a show and tell. It wasn't even sprint planning. It was just talking about what we worked on because we wanted to primarily build camaraderie because something that we struggle with, and I think the pandemic especially has really proven is that when you are behind a screen and you're not seeing people, it is more difficult to have compassion, I think sometimes, or to just at least remember that people are human and that they have pets and children and like people they take care of or just, you know, taking care of themselves. Um, so we first and foremost would try and remind each other that we're human. And it was probably the most kind and caring team I've actually ever been on. Um, but then how to tackle everything else is I had uh, one-on-ones with the designer who was also my boss. So uh, we, like every single week, um, I had checked in with everyone pretty much regularly. We had stand-ups every day. Um, and I think a lot of the communication uh, management did fall on me as a producer, but that's kind of what you sign up for. Um, and so just making sure that everyone updates you every day on what they're working on, making sure you maintain like a roadmap of what everyone is working on can be helpful. Like I had a spreadsheet where every week I had everyone's tasks there, like the high level and then the detailed task in JIRA. And I would make sure to meet with people at the beginning of every sprint, like every single person to make sure they knew what they were doing. Again, is that the most efficient? Not for the producer, but it was very helpful for the team because we did not miss deadlines. So that was, that was a... I'm proud of that. I don't think that is like 100% me. I think I helped facilitate that, but the team were, really was into that kind of communication process and that really worked for them. But just like, again, coming up with like, this is when I talk to people for these reasons, expect me then. Here's like a very simple document for you to reference if you have questions can, be, can really go a long way. Uh, but also make sure you have something like Slack or Discord where you can talk to each other because we would not have survived without that at all. So you're squarely in in the triple a realm now because it doesn't get much more triple a than than something like PUBG, which is games yeah. as a service on top of being everything else yeah you mentioned wisconsin i mean which we know is a hotbed of game development it's like one of the tech i can't even say that with a straight face anyway the um 
how do how do you approach crunch you know because yes people do want to go home and, right. and see their kids but you know we look at all the stuff coming out of activision all the stuff coming out of ubisoft the and, and we all know that it goes on everywhere it, it, it's like yes there are certain companies that have been yeah. called out on it how do you how do you manage that how do you deal with that on a project this big right yeah because you have the complexity of like i'm not the boss like when you're the only producer and you're working with one or two senior level folks like you can you have more pull i think uh it's complicated and hard and i'm not perfect and i'm sure my coworkers have worked without telling me because i cannot keep tabs on them 24 7. that'd be a little creepy but I, I, I know because I get emails at 1 a.m. sometimes and I, I'm not going to name names, but you're watching. Um, <laughs> so the ways and this is like a very producer focus or really anyone that wears any kind of like production -y hat. It's very, very, very important that you prioritize work and that you estimate work. Um, whether that's story points or time, you just need to be able to understand how big the work is in front of you and how much of it you have. And when it comes down to it, what can you cut? Um, and those are questions or, or things that we talk about at PUBG literally every single day. We'll go through and we'll be like, ah, there's like eight defects for this thing. Can, do we do we actually need to ship it this, this release? Can we wait? And we have those conversations, um, but just having them early and tracking things as early as possible and just understanding how your peers work, which does unfortunately take time, um, can be really, really helpful in advocating for sustainable schedules. Um, that being said, there is not much you can do as a little producer uh, if business is telling you, you got to ship this right before Christmas. Um, oh my God! Yes. I'm using that as an example. I'm using that as an example, but no, like, but that is a damn good example, and that is why I constantly tell people: yeah. do not pre-order AAA games that are coming out in November and December. Yeah, it's that's the thing is I also just when you if you're a senior level folk or like who is like managing schedules, I beg you to not schedule any releases between like like end of October and beginning of February. Like that is awful for a lot of people and just being very deliberate in your schedules and also building in the expectation that people are taking time off is also very important. This is where allocation comes in handy. Um, just like assuming that uh, like if you have, I'm making this up, 20 days of paid time off, like assuming everyone will take their 20 days and building the schedule around that assumption can be very helpful as well. A lot of times people don't take their time off, but you've now built a schedule where they can. Uh, that's also just important. It's, it's really hard and it's a problem I'm still trying to solve. So I don't have a perfect answer, but just trying to track things and meet things way ahead of time can be helpful. And also like kill your darlings, I think is the phrase, like really think about do you actually need this thing can you actually push push it to a future release can be helpful um and then hopefully develop a relationship of trust with your team so they can tell you if they're working and you don't find out because you get emails uh at 1 a.m um granted maybe they took off the entire day and this is their their work time like i can't judge them on that i've also you know like to take a nap at 3 p.m but uh <laughs> just, so, uh, just schedule yeah. it, Sarah. What's the problem? You, you, you just said you're scheduling all this stuff for. I did schedule this. It's on my calendar. Everyone wow. knows. <laughs> there we go. All right. <laughs> Everyone knows. But yeah. Uh, all right. So Lucas on YouTube, and we've got time for about two more questions. Okay. So if you've got something, pop it in there. If not, um, you know, 
Sarah is on our Discord. We have a post thing chat. It just depends on what else is on her schedule right now. Uh, did you also use asynchronous standups? So I uh, dried off. We did uh, just because I would not ask the Australians to get up at 3 a.m. That felt cruel and unusual. Um, so PUBG, we're mostly again. This is where like the names get weird. We're PUBG Mad Glory. So it's New York and Madison. So we have standups at 10 a.m. Central um and usually 15 minutes very quick but at dry dog it was when you started your work day um and it was interesting because some people were incredibly consistent so i always knew that at this time my coworker desiree was going to be up and if she didn't post her stand up that usually meant something horrible had happened or i forgot she took pto and then other folks would just kind of post it whenever um you do wind up having to remind people to do stuff like that uh, but in a way, having that asynchronous standup is really helpful because it does signify to the team that you're available. Another thing too, if you're also or working on a team that's really spread out, utilizing Slack's like a way in what you're doing is actually very helpful. You don't need to give people details like I'm going to see the doctor for this very specific thing, but just saying, hey, I'm going to be gone until 3 p.m. That's really helpful um, and helps people plan around it. Uh, I feel like people really don't like using Slack. I'm one of them, but I use it all the time. But Slack actually has some pretty good features for communicating your availability that I think need to be better utilized. Um, that is yeah. one of the things that Discord, because we got rid of Slack and moved everything to Discord internally. Yeah. But that is one of the things that Discord does not do. Yeah, it's hard. It sucks. <laughs> all right. Um, trying to think of like one more just like absolute pressing puts you on the spot question because you know this is my opportunity awesome. uh I, I i have been sending notes to a, a good friend of mine who you know also spent several years as the only producer on a major game and i'm like i need to get you and sarah both in here because <laughs> this yeah. would be awesome um but she brought up a good point it depends on what we could talk about publicly um yeah that's the, that was the biggest thing with this powerpoint i was just like what can I talk about? And I was like, ah, Fireman's Carry came out. Okay, we're good. <laughs> so that's the one I could use. Yeah. All right, Alda, Sarah, we're gonna let you go. We've okay. got our last session coming up. Thank you so much. I know you have a lot on your plate right now with the IGDA and you know this minor project that you're working on and, and everything else. And I really appreciate you taking the time and come on and do this. Um, and I didn't even get to like harass you all that much for the, on the back side because you were busy doing presentations. So. I saw you message me and I ignored it. I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, so thank you so much for, you know, letting me be on this show. I love all the things that you do. I mean, we at the foundation keep coming back. Like I'm so thankful to have met you and met the community and being, being a part of the community as well. And I hope that you'll have a good rest of your conference. Do, do, do not get, make me get emotional right now. I still have two and a half days of this it's left. the so. holiday season. So everyone gets emotional. <laughs> well, scary. We started this morning with no internet at my town. So, Oh my God. Oh, yes. Anyway. All right. Oh, okay. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, everybody. We'll be right back. Live pitch deck review session with Kimberly. And Dan is going to take it away in just a few minutes. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at IndieGame.Business.